Hey friends, thanks for tuning in to this latest episode of Love Service Wisdom with Marissa Rada. I am Marissa Rada and I'm here for you. We're going to talk about my Burning Man adventures in this episode. I'm. It's Monday, September 2nd. I just got back yesterday from a four-night uh, experience and I figured with this fresh energy coursing through me, it might be fun to share with you what goes on out there and what my one experience or enjoy or interact with. So I'll give you a firsthand account. Fresh, fresh, fresh. But before I do that, I want to say thank you to everyone who has um, subscribed to this podcast on iTunes and given it a five-star rating and written a little review. It's really easy to do. You can do it while you're listening. If you're listening on your Apple Podcasts or iTunes, you can just scroll down right now and give that review and write that uh, or give that rating and write that review. It really helps a bunch to help spread the word and I appreciate it a ton. And you can also follow, of course, on Spotify. So there's that little bit of housekeeping that I would appreciate from you if you feel up for it. And uh, yeah, also a little promo for my retreat coming up in Boulder, fourth annual fall retreat with East Forest. I'll be co-hosting September 26th through the 29th. And we just had a couple rooms on site at the Boulder Mountain Guest Ranch open up. So check that out. It's Thursday night to Sunday afternoon with an optional extra day on Monday to enjoy. And it's hiking in the Grand Staircase National Monument. It's yoga. It's sound healing. It's ceremony concerts, it's yoga with live music, it's meditation, it's farm-to-table food. It's an intimate group too. We get to spend all kinds of nice time together just connecting and um, enjoying those experiences that I just described and having farm-to-table meals at the Sweetwater Kitchen. And it's just Boulder. I've been going down there for 10 years now and it's one of my favorite places to go to to recalibrate and realign. It's um, an experience there with the lands and the place that really helps me to ground out and clear away the noise and the clutter from uh, this daily life world that we're in and just slow down and reattune to what's really most important and especially nature, nature and the natural world and earth and then huge big cosmos Milky Way above. It just gives you this incredible sense of place and source and infinity and life and purity. So that's why we keep going back and hosting these retreats again and again. And if you want to join us this year, you can. It's coming up this month, the end of September. You can check that out and register and see more information about it on East Forest website. That's eastforest.org backslash retreat if you want to check that out. And you can always shoot me a message too if you've got questions about it. I'd be answered, happy to answer anything. And speaking of coming down, you know, you can camp as well. In the first few years that I went down to Boulder for the Reality Sandwich Retreats, I pitched a tent and camped and it was great. I really enjoyed it. I like doing things that way too. So there's that option. I'm also about to begin my next 200-hour teacher training at Sage Yoga and Wellness. That's going to start September 
12th, the weekend of September 12th and 13th. Um, and there's a few spots left for that also. So you could get on that real quick if you'd like and send me a message at info at sageyogaboise.com if you want to learn more about the teacher training program or go onto my website, sageyogaboise.com and there's info about the teacher training program there as well. So there's that. Let's get back to Burning Man, shall we? Holy cow. This was my fifth year in a row down there at Burning Man. And I, um, gosh, I heard about Burning Man when I was in college down in Florida in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s down in Sarasota. And a group of friends of mine, we would talk about making the trip out there then and uh, then I graduated and I had Maya and my life went a different direction besides going to Burning Man. So I didn't, I didn't end up going there for a while after. It was 2015 that I finally made it there. And my first year was with um, one of my best friends, Celeste. She is connected to a camp here in Boise based at a Boise called Altitude Lounge. And that crew invited us to stay. My um, husband at the time, Bill and I, to camp with them and come down. So Bill and I went to Burning Man together for the first time, which was really beautiful. We had such a great time together. We had so much fun playing and exploring and experiencing the art and the people. And he and I that year spent a lot of time, just the two of us biking around and being in the city and meeting people and going to different camps and uh, one of the highlights for sure was watching the man burn that year. Of course, it was our first time seeing the man burn, but they did this thing where well, that I wasn't expecting. I know he wasn't either, where they just lit a like atomic bomb explosion of fire. Just think like huge fire smoke mushroom cloud detonation <laughs> that blows it up. A couple of times they did that, but it was like, yeah, you think... I don't know. You think, oh yeah, they're going to set it on fire. It'll be like a bonfire and then it'll burn. No, it's way more epic and and involved and extravagant than that. It's like the longest fireworks show that you've ever seen leading up to then the fire starting, then these just huge epic explosions of... Um, of fire. Yeah. And so again, with Bill that year, we had so much fun playing. And right after the man burns that year too, we had two desires that we hadn't fulfilled while we had been there. And one was to get on an art car and two was to go into deep, deep playa. And we were leaving the next day. So it was like, oh, I hope we can get on an art car tonight. And so when you go to the man burn, all the art cars from all the camps circle up around it. So Every art car is there as well, the big ones and the small ones. And there's this inner ring of like fire dancers and poi spinners and all that kind of stuff happening. And then all the smaller art cars and everybody on the bikes. And so it's basically this huge like um, like circle around the man of everybody that's at Burning Man. So the man was finishing burning and he and I started to walk uh, around. We didn't have our bikes that night because we'd come out on the Pliopus from our camp, Altitude Lounge. And we had seen this art car, this crystal art car all week go by that we were kind of attracted to. We noticed it there when we were walking around like, oh, let's go walk over to that and we'll hop on the art car. So we make the trek 
to over where we see it in the distance. And right before we get to where it is, it drives away and we don't get on it and we miss it. But then we turn, you know, right next to it. And there's this art car that had been sitting next to it the whole time, but we hadn't seen because we were fixated on the big, you know, neon glowing laser crystals. And it was this just art car with like no lights and kind of like janky and dark and mysterious looking. We're like, well, we're here. We might as well get on this. So we just climb on up to the second um, floor of this art car and sit down. And as soon as we do, it starts to drive away. And we don't know whose it is or where it's going, but we're along for the ride. And so we just take the art car out. And lo and behold, it takes us all the way out into deep playa, which is where what they call the trash fence is. And the trash fence is like one of those orange fences um, around construction sites that is there to catch things that have blown in the wind and kind of mark the perimeter too of the the area of the festival. So this art car we got on drove all the way out into deep playa, goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And then it parks and we're like, oh, well, cool. We made it out to deep playa and we made it on an art car. I wonder what's going to happen now. And we're sitting on this couch in the back of the art car and onto the top, that second floor we are, there's a DJ booth, walks Daft Punk or what looks like Daft Punk. It's two guys in Daft Punk outfits and the big silver helmets with the big visors. And we're like, holy shit, Daft Punk just walked onto this art car. And they start to play this Daft Punk DJ set there on this art car. So then we have this dance party with Daft Punk that we just think is the most epic and amazing thing ever. It totally blows our mind. We have so much fun. And that goes on for a few hours. And then the car comes back into the city and we hop off. I don't know. It's a few hours later. It's probably like two or three in the morning. And we go back into our camp altitude and we find our friends in the med tent and we're like, hey, you guys, we just got on this art car and it took us out to deep play and we saw Daft Punk at the trash fence. And everybody's like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're like, no, for real, seriously. They're like, guys, that's a joke. Everybody says that. Everybody says, go see Daft Punk at the trash fence. We're like, no, but it just, it actually just happened. <laughs> we weren't looking for Daft Punk at the trash fence. We just, they got on our art car and started playing music. And Bill and I being newbies, we didn't know that the like joke meme was people come to Burning Man and say, hey, where's the main stage? Where can I see Daft Punk? When's Daft Punk going to play, for example? Like, or what, or fill in the blank, whatever headlining EDM act you might want to see. And the burners say to those festival goers, oh, you can go see Daft Punk at the trash fence after the man burns as a way to like get the folks that might be asking about schedules and times and stages to go on a uh, a chase that ends nowhere out the trash fence. So when we came back and said that we saw Daft Punk at the trash fence, everyone was like, yeah, shut up, whatever, you big sillies. But we think we did. Or we think we saw a really good Daft Punk impersonation band at the trash fence. So that was a highlight of year one. Uh, for sure. And then year two, Bill and I went back together and had another great year adventuring around. I can't think of any amazing adventures. Oh, probably the best thing that happened last that year, the second year, was finding the Dr. Bronner's foam camp. The, the theme of that second year was something like circus. 
And I had just finished reading the book, The Night Circus. And if you haven't read The Night Circus, it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but it's, I think, Stephanie something. And it's just a great fictional story, magical, beautiful, and fun. And I'd read that book that year. So I thought, oh, for sure, there's going to be a camp and the theme will definitely be Night Circus and it'll be like the Night Circus in this book. I just know it's going to happen. So I bought outfits, brought outfits that were in in the theme of the Night Circus book, which is black and white with like a little bit of red. So I was kind of on a mission the whole time to figure out where this Night Circus camp experience might be. And um, I hadn't heard of the Dr. Bronner's foam camp. I didn't know what that was, where if you'd been before in years past, most people had uh, experienced or knew what that was, but it was new to me and I didn't know. So I was biking and I saw a camp with giant um, like circus tents and folks were dressed like from the night circus and they're like kind of Victorian, vintage, white, black with a little bit of red look. I'm like, oh, I found it. I'm going to go back. So a couple of days later with Bill and our friend Celeste, we <laughs> went to where I thought the night circus was. I hadn't heard of Dr. Bronner's camp. So we bike over there and uh, they are taking away the structure or like their their check-in booth. And in my mind, I had this whole story going of like, this is like the circus check-in booth where you get your tickets, not like first stage to the Dr. Bronner's camp entrance. And they were just breaking that down um, and having like their last uh, uh, show, quote unquote, for the day. And I thought it was going to be some kind of show. And, um, but they see me and I'm like, I'm dressed like one of them. I've got the, I've got the things on. And they're like, oh, you know, we just closed down, but we'll let you guys in. So they let us in. You go past like a felt rope into like a larger um, tent space with a smaller tent space inside. And we walk inside this tent that we hadn't seen. I hadn't been in. I didn't know what was going to be in there. I thought it was going to be this night circus tent experience. And so we walk inside and everybody's taking off their clothes. And I'm like, oh, uh, hmm okay, well, this is what I guess we're supposed to do here at the Night Circus. And so Celeste, she's like, "Mm -mm, this isn't going to happen. I'm not doing this. But the guy was like, no, you have to like fully 100% strip down before you can go into tent number two, the inner tent. So we joined in, took off all the clothes, walked into the inner tent. And the inner tent was the Dr. Bronner's foam shower experience, which is there every year. You have to find it wherever it is. They don't, it's not on one of the maps. At least that's my understanding of it. But we found that that year as I was looking for the night circus, still in my head the whole time, I was having this story of like, oh, this is just what the night circus is offering is this shower experience. You go in to the inner tents, everybody's 100% naked and they're playing this amazing DJ sets. People in the middle are like clean and dancing. And then around the periphery is this line of dirty, dusty Burning Man folks who are then getting into, think like clear shipping containers, like the sides of like a shipping container, but it's clear plastic. And you go up, you get into it and they pack you in to the shipping container. There's two next to each other. 
And again, it's clear so you can see through it. They pack you in like sardines, like body to body to body to body. And then up above the shipping container uh, around the top is like a catwalk that goes all the way around. And there's folks up there that are then spraying you like with a fire hose with water and then dumping Dr. Bronner's foam soap, spraying that all over you too. While they're then shouting affirmations like, we love you, you're so beautiful, you're so gorgeous, look at you, we love you. So they're shouting affirmations as you're getting showered from above and then you're in this container with all these other strangers just washing your body, washing your hair, finally getting all the dust off of you. And then they spray you down and clean you off and you come out the other end and then that's where all the super clean, happy people are dancing in the middle. So that's the Dr. Potter's foam experience that I thought was the night circus, which I guess in some ways you could say was the night circus. And uh, that was definitely a highlight of year two, for sure. Super fun. And boy, did it feel good to get clean. Boy, did it feel good to get clean. I think it'd been like three or four days that year before I'd really showered like that. So beautiful gift from them. And uh, then year three was a year that, that was 2017 then, was the year that Bill and I had decided to get divorced. And we decided to divorce in May, right before the summer started. We had it planned, you know, as a family and a couple, all these different trips and experiences with the kids or with each other or with family. And we decided, well, let's just take our time divorcing and we'll do all these things that we've planned to do together. And then the last of those was Burning Man, end of August, early September. So we did the whole summer together while, you know, beginning the process of divorcing and unweaving while at the same time, you know, experiencing many things for the last time as a couple or as a family. And then Burning Man came and we decided again, we were with Altitude Lounge, our friends. We decided to go and we hadn't really shared with the camp uh, what we were going through. A few people knew, but not everybody. We weren't like super public about it at that point. Um, But we decided to go together. The theme that year was radical ritual. And we thought, well, this will be a great way to honor our marriage and our union and and move into our divorce together. We'll have to think of a ritual to do together. So we went to Burning Man together, had another wonderful time. We really, Bill and I really burn quite well together. We know how to have um, a lot of fun and be open and be sweet and help take care of each other. So we had lots of fun with friends and, you know, doing all the things. And I think that was the year, maybe it was the year before that we got to see my friend Wes, the DJ Diplo up on his art car, one of them. I don't remember which one it was. That was a fun for Bill. It was like a major laser set that we were up there with him for. Um, But anyways, Friday night into sunrise Saturday, he and I decided to spend the evening out together, which we did. We were over at Opulent Chill and then the sunrise came and we went out to the temple together. And so the temple is um, a structure that they build each year 
very intentionally at Burning Man that looks like a temple made out of wood, all different kinds of shapes and sizes each year that people go to and go in as a way to honor uh, people who have passed or transitions in their life or to grieve. There's lots of grieving um, that's taking place there or... uh, yeah, anything, any anything that they're wanting to let go of, in a in a deeply intentional way. It's one of the few places on the playa that's really quiet. There's no blinky things or neon lights or bass or music besides maybe like the hung drum or some cellos or flute or drums, something organic and acoustic like that. So it's an incredibly sacred space, and it's. Uh, the feeling, the energy of it is so profound and grounded. And I'm just grateful that somewhere on the planet, there's a place that people can go to, to really allow their emotions, especially grief and sadness and sorrow uh, to flow and to process out. And it's incredibly cathartic in so many ways. I know for thousands and thousands of people each year, So he and I had decided to go to the temple at sunrise that Saturday morning, and we would sit together and connect, and we would then write letters to each other's souls about uh, gratitude that we have for each other for the marriage that we did have and the ways that we were together and the ways that we helped support each other and helped heal each other and helped each other to grow through our time that we were together as husband and wife. And then we wrote those letters to each other and then we read them to each other. And then we took our wedding rings and we put the letters in an envelope with our wedding rings and we left them in the temple to burn. So we did that our third year together. And it was um, it was such a beautiful way to honor each other and our relationship and really let each other go in a conscious, thoughtful way. As we decided to divorce, we were doing the really the best that we could to do it uh, in a way that was respectful and honored each other and and modeled to our friends and family how much we cared about each other. And we wanted each other to still be treated really well, even though we were no longer going to be together as husband and wife. And so we had that experience together. Then he and I went and, you know, I don't know, did some more things out on the playa. We he had, He's his poncho that he likes to wear. So we sat on his poncho and just talked and connected more and met a few other people. And then our friend Gordon Ogden from Walter Yoga and Walt, Camp Walter was teaching a class at like 10 a.m. So we go over to Gordon's class for some yoga and um, entering into the yoga class. I remember having like my first, one of my first moments of like, oh no, like, what are you doing? Like, don't burn your wedding ring in the, in the temple. Maybe you're making the wrong choice. Uh, are you sure that you want to do this? All those kind of thoughts were going through my head. And I was like, listen, just relax. Take this yoga class. Just let go. And something will come to you in the class that'll help you see if you're making the right choice, or the wrong choice with this divorce. So I set that as my intention to call myself. And what came through me in the class was that it is a yes. And it was a yes, even though 
Bill and I still felt um, connected and loved each other and felt good together with the parts of our relationship that still felt really good. And it was, despite that, it was still a yes that we had served our purpose together as being a couple in that way. And that it was time to move on and it was time to let each other go. And that for most of us, the relief release process the letting go process, we're not good at it. And it's so difficult and we don't know how to do it that, especially in relationships, we have to make it so painful that we have no choice but now to let go. And then that's when a relationship ends is like, it's so painful. I can't hold our own anymore. I'm so hurt. I'm so broken. I'm so angry. Now let's end it. And it's like a bomb that destroys everything. And so the message was, you're not doing it that way. You're not doing it where you're destroying everything and hurting everyone so that then you can let go. You're choosing to let go while it still feels like you could hold on, but you know in your heart and your soul and your intuition that it's time to let it go. So you're letting it go in a healthy way. So it's still a yes, even though sure, yeah, you can hold on for a while longer and try to make it work but you're not. You're letting it go while it still feels okay. And that's the perfect thing to do. So that was wonderful. And I was grateful for that. And Gordon's class too is my first Wim Hof experience. Oh my gosh. He ends the class with this series of Wim Hof breaths. And I hadn't ever done Wim Hof before, so I didn't know what I was getting into, but holy shit, did I experience like soul core depth DMT explosion centered aligned space. It was intense and so beautiful, so cool. I was not expecting that at all. So Gordon, he's a great, great, great Wim Hof teacher. I went down to Phoenix to teach at his group Walter Yoga Uh, A few months later, actually that time I was DJing for Celeste. She was doing her dance commander class for Walter Yoga and I was shocker conning it. And we did a Wim Hof session the day, um, I think it was the day after we did our Walter Yoga set. And we met at Gordon's studio at like 6 a.m. and did like, uh, I don't know, maybe like 30 to 45 minutes of a breathwork practice and then then did the cold plunge. And if you know me, I... There's nothing almost in the whole world that I dislike more than being cold. So the idea of me getting into like a 6 a.m. trough full of ice water uh, is a terrible idea. But with the breath, I did the experience with the breathing and I was so super oxygenated and calm that when it was my turn to get into the water, I was just like a queen. It was like super stoic and calm, got into the water, went under, and probably held my breath under the water for what seemed or felt like minutes. So I can't wait to experience Wim Hof again. That was the first time I've got to, my only time I've got to plunge like that, but boy, is it exhilarating and clearing and just, it gives you this greater sense of like, I don't know, what are the limits that I have for myself that are false, that I can rewrite or redo. Anyways, tangent onto Wim Hof. Back to Burning Man. And that same year, um, Bill and I were doing our radical ritual separation honoring. Um, 
that night, well, the next day we wanted to see the temple burn. And it was the only time I've actually stayed at Burning Man to see the temple burn. But it was important to us that we witnessed that with what we were going through together. And so we had decided to leave uh, that evening, like Sunday night at like three in the morning, Monday morning, uh, to leave after the temple burned. So the temple burned, we went back to camp and the truck was all packed up. So we we're just sleeping on Bill's poncho on the ground. The weather was really warm and calm and I had earplugs in and an eye shade on and we're sleeping. And all of a sudden I woke up out of my sleep and I'm like, oh no, like another like, what are you doing? You're making the wrong decision. Are you sure you want to get divorced? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? And again, I told myself, calm down, relax. Burning Man will provide. It'll help give you the answer. Just go back to sleep and just trust. And some kind of message will come to you, maybe in your dreams or your sleep, that'll help you to know whether this is the right or the wrong thing to be doing right now. Okay. So then I go back to sleep. And I don't know how long I was asleep for, let's say like 30 minutes. And all of a sudden, an art car pulls up really close to where we're sleeping. I never took my eye shade off to see it, but I could see through my eye shade the like orange bright redness of flames and the hear the like of uh, propane and fire and torches going off. So this art car with all kinds of fire pulled up right next to where we were. It was super loud. And there must have been, I'm imagining by the sound of it, like 50 people on this art car. And everyone on the art car starts yelling in unison over and over again, fuck, yes, fuck, yes, fuck, yes. And they must have done that for like five minutes. And I'm like, I get it. <laughs> Message received. It's definitely a yes. It's definitely a yes. And so since that moment through Bill and I's divorce, it was really clearly, strongly a yes, which feels really good. If you're, if you're in a relationship and you don't know if you should be in it or shouldn't be in it, should I get divorced? Should we stay together? Is the right person for me? And you're kind of waffling that energy of not knowing oh man, it can be so exhausting and unsettling and difficult to deal with because you don't know which direction to take. And it can be quite paralyzing too. And it's just so confusing. So to feel like I was making this decision to end the most re important relationship of my entire life and be in a, a really solid yes place with that, was the greatest gift. And so even though I went through, as you can imagine, all kinds of grief and sadness, even through the grief and the sadness, it was still always a yes. And that never changed for me. It was incredibly clear. So that was Burning Man number three. Burning Man number four last year was... Um, my daughter, Maya, she was turning 15. And I really wanted to honor her with something like a quinceanera, like a rite of passage. And I at first had said to Bill, like, I want to have a quinceanera for Maya. Maybe I'll take her down to Teotihuacan in Mexico, where I love to go and be with the family that I love down there. And we can celebrate a quinceanera for her there. And he's like, you can't do that. That's cultural appropriation. I'm like, oh, is it? Well, uh, we'll be in Mexico, like we'll be with my friends and family and they're Mexican and I just want to like honor and love Maya. But he said, no, 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 you can't do that. I'm like, oh, okay, well, 
I, I want to do something. Well, then fine, then I'm going to take her to Burning Man. <laughs> and he said, of course, no, you're not. I'm like, well, why can't I? She's She could go. Let's ask her. And I asked Maya if she wanted to go to Burning Man for her 15th birthday. And her response was no, she didn't want to go. I'm like, well, I want to take Morgan too. If you don't know the story of Morgan and Maya, Maya is my daughter, clearly. Morgan is my brother. And when I was pregnant with Maya, my mom got pregnant as well with my brother Morgan. And I ended up, I won't tell a full story now, but I went to Montana when my mom was pregnant. That's where she was at the time and is, and decided to spend the summer of my pregnancy with my mom because she was pregnant too. So I was up in Montana with my mom while I was pregnant. And lo and behold, we ended up having our babies on the same day in the same hospital in Dillon, Montana, right next to each other. So my brother, Morgan, was born the same day as my daughter, Maya. And I'm like, well, what if we take Morgan too? And you know, we'll ask him and see if he wants to come. So Maya was like, sure, we can ask Morgan and see what he thinks. So I think I saw Morgan when we went up for Thanksgiving that year to Montana. I'm like, hey, Morgan, what do you think about going to Burning Man for your 15th birthday next year? And he, he was all and he's like, absolutely, let's do it. I'm like, well, okay, let's ask mom. Asked my mom. My mom was into it. She really wanted to go. And so then finally, I was like, all right, well, let's make this happen. So last year's Burning Man was bringing Maya and my brother and my mom to Burning Man and having that experience with them. So Bill went to Burning Man again, too. He camped with Altitude Lounge and he brought down our big dome. We've got a big uh, mandala domes, rainbow geodesic dome that we have camped in the past few years. So Bill brought the dome down and he set that up for Maya and Morgan and my mom and I over at Camp Walter across the playa. So he was an extreme gentleman in helping get his ex-wife down to Burning Man with his daughter and ex-mother-in-law and uh, nephew. So brought Morgan and Maya and my mom. My brother Joe was there as well. Joe's been coming to Burning with me for the past couple of years too. He's in his late 20s and uh, did the family Burning Man experience. And I taught yoga for Walter and DJed for Celeste for her birthday party and was kind of like hostess last year's Burning Man, bringing my daughter and my mom and my brothers there and Maya and Morgan and my mom, my brother and I, we all went to the temple at sunrise Saturday again, like Bill and I had done the year before, but this time to celebrate and honor these two beings as they transition into becoming teenagers and adults and having an expanded perspective on the world and what it means to be human. And I thought, what better way to do that than experiencing Burning Man for the first time? They ended up really loving it and having such a great time. If you're a parent out there and you're wondering about bringing your kids to Burning Man, I would say around 15 is a pretty good age to bring them because they're starting to be pretty open and curious and independent and self-reliant. You know, like the kids, they could go and explore all of Burning Man by themselves and just like, we'll meet you back here at this time. And they were always doing that and could be quite safe. You know, they're not like, really having sex yet or doing drugs or things like that. So you're not worrying about them in that realm. I don't know if I would take Maya 
again now or until probably she's over 18, then I'd feel more confident about it again. Um, we'll see. But that was a lot last year to be a hostess in that way, just energetically. So this year I was like, okay, if I go, I'm going to go pretty solo and light and um, yeah, just be more unattached than I had been in years past. So this year it happened to be my good friend, my bestie, Celeste her 40th birthday. She was turning 40 on Saturday that the man burned. So for her, the past, I don't know, almost as long as I've known her, she said, for my 40th birthday, I'm having a party at Burning Man. For my 40th birthday, I'm having a party at Burning Man. You guys are coming to my party at Burning Man on my 40th birthday. And honestly, this year, I probably would not have gone, would have taken the year off, except for I wasn't going to miss last birthday party. So this year I decided to camp again with Altitude, where she's always at, Altitude Lounge, and fully 100% go to support her for her birthday. Whatever you want, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to go, whatever you want to have happen, let's make it happen. And she decided champagne all day is what she wanted for her birthday party. So I went down on Wednesday this year And upgraded a little bit from my dome, which is wonderful. It's a great space, but it gets hot and the AC doesn't work really well. And last year I was suffering quite a bit from the heat in the dome. So this year I upgraded to a shift pod and got a portable AC and went big and got that for myself. I shared it with our other friend, Carrie, who was coming down for Celeste's birthday too. So she was my roommate, this Bernie man, but... Got down there Wednesday afternoon, and it's about a seven-hour drive here from Boise down to Black Rock City, and then it takes a couple hours to get in, actually, and to get to your camp once you get to the gates. So I arrived um, at the camp out at altitude right as sun was setting, and I was by myself, which I fluctuated with. I felt at times really good about, you know, just going by myself and the freedom that that provides, but also like, oh, I wish I had my person. I wish I had my partner. I tried to talk my brother Joe into going. Again, he was taking the year off. I almost got Eric, my good friend from Treefort and here in Boise to go. He was a yes for a minute, which I was so stoked about and then decided not to go. And I tried to get my boyfriend, Krishna, to go. He was a solid no from the beginning. He's been to Burning Man a couple of times years ago. And he's like, I would go for two nights. I'm like, well, I'm going to go for longer. He's like, and these are my conditions. I'm like, well, none of those things can happen. So he was very much like, you go, you support Celeste. You have a great time. I have zero desire to go. And you can go and do whatever you want to do. So couldn't get the boyfriend to go. So I was there by myself. And when I pulled into camp, I was like, man, how am I going to set up everything by myself? Because in the years past, I'd had Bill, who's just like mega um, get shit done kind of guy, like super reliable and hardworking while mostly being fun too. And didn't have that energy this year. So I was kind of nervous about the setup, but I pulled up And literally, as I stepped out of my car, Celeste and Devin, her boyfriend, roll up on their bikes like, we just came back to check and see if you were here. I'm like, I just got here 
right in the second. Well, what can we do? Let's get you set up. So we start taking stuff out of my car. And then these two other great guys from camp, Dan and Greg, um, they're like, what do we need? How can we help you? I'm like, well, let's get this shift pod set up. So pull the shift pod out, literally sets up in like two minutes, pop, pop, pop. And then they go get the the, the rebar stake driver and put it all into place. And they're like, okay, cool. There you go. That'll happen like the first 10 minutes of me arriving. So grateful for that. It's so nice to have friends to welcome you and set you up. That was one of my biggest concerns. And it got taken care of. Spent the next couple hours getting camp ready and then got all set up and then went to go meet our friends, Kate and Steve Swarm and Gordon and Holly Ogden over at their camp because Kate and Steve decided to renew their vows at one of the art pieces, this cathedral at at sunset that day. And I'd missed it because I was just arriving, but went over there to congratulate them and support them. And then we went out for a little bit. But as I'd driven down that day, I had been in the car like 10 hours, I decided to call it early that night and uh, went to bed, woke up um, at a nice hour on Thursday. And then Thursday, Celeste was teaching a yoga class over at Opulent Chill with Devo, Devin, her boyfriend DJing for her. So our good friend um, Lydia and I biked over to Opulent Chill to take her class through like a pretty heinous dust storm. When it gets dusty on the playa, you, you can't see because there's dust everywhere. So it's like being in like super thick fog. And then we were biking against the wind. So it was really tough on the body and the legs. Got over there and biking across the playa, we were at like 8.45 and see. And think of it like hours on a clock. We had to go from basically like nine o'clock across to two o'clock. And it was, takes a while. It's, a, it's miles or it seems like miles. So we got over there and was exhausted from biking in the wind and in the dust storm and uh, took her yoga class. And gosh, it was such a good class. Les is such a good teacher. She's like Mrs. Positive Affirmation. Um, I don't know, just like so grounding, but so inspiring and fun at the same time. And if you go to experiences like festivals or even like vacations and travel, you know, you're going through all these layers of time and space and energy to get to the place that you're going. So you can often arrive feeling kind of worn down and haggard. And then you can either like, I don't know, start drinking or partying or just like continue on the go, go, go track. Or you can do something to ground and realign yourself. And man, there's no better way to do that than a yoga class. So we got to do this yoga class, which just felt like it was like clicking all of my energy back into place. It feels like it takes, you know, your like ragged, jagged, um, pokey edges energetically that you have. It just smooths it all out, just smooths it out, smooths it out and helps you to land. So that's how I felt during her class. Like I was fully landing and I was getting into this intention of 
just letting go and letting these next few days of Burning Man be whatever they wanted to do. I was very clearly there to support Celeste and her birthday, but I had really no desires for like myself or need to make happen or need to go to or need to see or need to find or need to experience. It was just open, like whatever Burning Man wants to give to me, awesome. I'm open to receiving. So we did that in the class, which was I keep saying it, just the perfect way to start. And if you guys out there listening, go to festivals or travel or go to Burning Man, I hope that you start your time once you really arrive with something like that. And then you can launch out from that grounded place. And we had a great time the rest of that night. And... Then that evening, Devin did a DJ set over for our friends at Camp Salties and for Sunset. So Celeste and I were there with Devin for his sweet, chill, vibey sunset jams. And our old friends, this guy Drew from a camp called Monkey Love. He's the sound tech, Drew is. He's got the Kraken Function One sound system that he tours and goes to different festivals and events with. And I met Drew through Celeste probably like five years ago now. And he's just one of my favorite people. The four of us all pottered up and went out that night together all the way through. Well, we got back to camp after the DJ set, maybe like around nine o'clock or so. And the three of them were like, all right, let's go. And I'm like, "Mm -mm, I can't. It's not my flow right now. Like I know what I need to do is like eat a little bit of food And I really then just want to go to bed. And how about we wake up at like two in the morning? If we start at two in the morning, we can go all the way to sunrise. And I guarantee we'll have a great time. There was some resistance, but I was basically like, listen, guys, (laughs) this is my pathway right now. Like I'm definitely going to bed and I will for sure wake up at 2 a.m. and we can start then. So convinced them that it was actually going to happen. Drew went back to his camp and did a few other things. And Celeste and Devin wisely, I think, got a couple hours of sleep too. And then Drew came back at, I don't know, like 1.45 or so, and I was just getting dressed. And then we went and woke up Devin and Celeste, who were grumpy pants and didn't want to get out of bed. But I did my best, like, mom to Benji with Devin, just singing him songs and telling him how great it was going to be when he got up and being like, if we go out without you and have a good time, how are you going to feel? I'm not going to feel good. I'm like, okay, well, let's get up. So they slowly got up and then we went out together and um, Drew had wanted to go see some art pieces at night Um in the playa. So we went out and checked out a bunch of art pieces. Where did we go? Where did we go? Oh, we found the one stage. I shouldn't say stage. I found the one structure that was like the house that was multi-layered that the funk band was playing in. We did that for a while and then just saw some other fun, cool pieces. And then uh, went back to his camp for a little bit and then headed out again right as the the sky was about was changing colors from night to day and 
the deep purples and the dark pinks were coming. And we decided to walk from his camp all the way out to the trash fence. So the four of us were kind of like the beetles walking across the playa all the way to the trash fence, having many fun little adventures on the way, and then made it out there to sit and watch the sunrise together, which was just incredibly beautiful and sweet and funny and magical in many, many ways. And then walk back after a while and then bike back to our camp and then hung out for hours and hours more. I think we finally called it at like 11 a.m. and then uh, went to rest and went to bed. So that was into Friday afternoon. So then Friday afternoon, I'm up again at like around four or five and I want to check in with um, Krishna, and there's not any Wi-Fi or any service. You're not really using your cell on the playa, but I had passed a camp the day before that was called Snow Cones and Wi-Fi. So I went by myself back to this camp to check in with him and say hi and check on the kids. Did that for a little bit. Then it's getting closer to sunset, and I'm on my bike, and I would think like, oh, well, let's, I'm just going to go bike around again the playa and see the art. The art at Burning Man is is for me where it's at. The art pieces and the structures and the art cars, the uh, they're at the they're. It, I'm having a hard time even expressing it. They're just so beautiful. There's so much effort and time and energy put into the creation of these pieces. And they're often so deep and so meaningful and feel like they hold so much symbolic energy that that's just uh, like, it's, yeah, again, I'm kind of speechless. It's just being able to witness and experience them and the fact that somebody's created them to bring out there means so much, means so much to me. So I was out there biking around looking at some art pieces and I'd heard about the woman that was made of wood and she's kind of crouching and she's coming out of this wooden egg. I'd heard that it had burned the night before, but then I saw it. I'm like, oh, it's still there. It didn't burn. So I see where it is. And there's quite a large gathering of people near it and these two art cars that are kind of parked. So I just head out that way and go there and I park my bike and I'm standing there and I there's a guy up on the Mayan art car, the Mayan warrior art car, playing a beautiful native flute. And so he's playing the flute. Sounds so sweet. And then another guy gets on the mic and he's like, come to the circle the center and gather around the drum and we'll begin our sunset prayer. And I just think, perfect. This is great. So I park my bike and I go in to where everyone's standing and they're just beginning a cacao ceremony. So the mind warrior had brought all this cacao from um, Mexico to share with everyone. So um, cacao was poured for, you know, the hundreds of people that were there. And in the center of the circle was this large, probably like four foot, three foot diameter circular drum with the colors of the medicine wheel. And there was this beautiful female shaman, curandera, uh, and like a large feathered headdress and this traditional garb. And she was there leading the ceremony. And they led chants that for the group while they were doing this, you know, four to six people on the drums with the cacao and opening up to the seven directions and then drinking the cacao and then chanting prayers for the earth and the animals and for women and for men. 
And the chance for the women, God, it was so, it felt so um, potent and strong and resonant. It was like the one chant where it seemed that everybody was like, really like like synced in tapped in and it went on for so long it was just I, I could not have been in a more perfect spot I was so grateful <laughs> to have found myself right there in that moment to be surrounded by tradition and culture and um something that was sacred and something that was a ceremony and focused in. So very grateful to all the Mayan warrior folks that were there providing that for all of us. Oh, and when I was standing there, I saw Sherry Ray, who I know and love from Udaya in Bulgaria and who runs, I think it's called the Peace Yoga Studio in LA or in Santa Monica. So Sherry Ray, there she is. She appeared right beside me during that beautiful sunset ceremony. And got to see her. I think she's the only person that I knew that I ran into randomly like that, but it couldn't have been a more divinely timed intersection for the two of us to be there together. And then after that, went back to camp and hung out and chatted with friends for a bit and got some food and again decided to put myself to bed early um, and wake up early. So I went to bed about 10 and then got up that morning around 4 and got on my bike by myself and went out again into the playa to go visit more art pieces. And it ended up where it felt like thematically so many of the pieces that I experienced had something to do with women or the feminine or, yeah, women, basically. There was this like temple structure that was circular and the outside of it was made with like this flowy fabric, but this like crocheted woven flowers too. And you walk in, it was one of the few places, the only place that I saw that was, please remove your shoes. You removed your shoes and you walked in and there was this altar too. It looked like water energy with shells and crystals and antlers and bells and all sorts of things like that. And you keep going around the center structure, but around the walls, there's just like goddess imagery. There was a picture of Amma that was there. And then a few other important women that I didn't quite recognize, but I noted how, I noticed, I noted how interesting it was that there was these pictures that of women who were probably notable that their faces I didn't recognize. And that in itself was kind of telling where you you recognize the faces of a lot of notable men because you see them so much, but notable women throughout history are perhaps harder to immediately recognize because we don't see them as much. So around the structure I went, there was, was someone doing yoga in there to one of the pieces and right in the center was um, this tall kind of columns platform. In the middle was this woman, a statue. Looked like it was maybe made out of clay. This naked woman with like a, a hood over her head sitting in a meditation pose with a mudra. And then above her, all across the ceiling were these bees painted um, and put out all across the ceiling. So the energy in this temple was just definitely like, Deeply feminine, sweet, but um, 
kind of like a fierce, powerful angle to it as well. So I stayed in there by myself for a while next to that altar that had, that felt like it had the water energy and tapped into my own meditative space. And at one point there was a woman that came in to the altar next to me and she was doing her own attunement and some like toning frequencies that was happening. I just noticed she was there. So I was there for a while and then left that and found another piece that was like, imagine like the shape of a telephone booth, you know, tall rectangular, but slightly larger. And you walk in and there was like a fairy hanging from the ceiling. You go in and the fairy starts to talk to you about like, um, like there to like answer these three questions and then I'll make your wishes come true or something like that. It was like, are you having fun? Are you, do you feel good? Are you peaceful? Things like that. It was like, okay, now we back and I need to rest for a while. So that was kind of funny. And then um, found that there was also this art piece. It was like a house that you go in and think like, old Victorian home with creepy dolls and magical like um, occult symbols and um, yeah, just like strange symbology, uh, antiques and creepy dolls (laughs) was in this house. And I think if you were there earlier in the week, there was maybe more that was happening Uh, like magically, let's say in the space, but that was like almost a week into it. And so so I think some of the pieces weren't quite working as well as I'd heard that they were, but it was, uh, everything in there was also about the witch and the feminine and the priestess also. So that was happening in that spot. And then there was this one other one that I went to that was like, mm, supposed to be like the mythology. I can't remember all of it off the top of my head, but the mythology of like, women having created this realm and men needing a representation of it. And there was something about like this, these glass shards being born and falling to the earth. And so there was these giant like triangular silver structures, like with neon lights through them. And the center was like a pyramid glass shard that you could walk up these steps and then down. And then you're supposed to like, walk up these steps and face the sunrise. And when the sun rose and you were up there on the steps, you would know the answer to everything, something like that. And then, um, oh, where did I go after that? Oh, and then I went further out into the playa and the background. By that time, the sun was starting to rise. And so I was heading back towards camp and I thought, I'll go by, um, oh, there was other art piece too that was another like cathedrally type place. And it sort of had in their stained glass windows that were all lit up, like historical, cultural moments in human history that had to do with like the pagan era and then the scientific era and then like more um, traditional tribal era and then like alien consciousness era, which was 
funny to see these four sequences all built out, to get out together, but it felt like in the imagery of it too, at least to me anyways, the painting of the women, the one with the women felt the most like healing and nurturing and grounded. And anyways, fast forward, I'm going back towards camp and I haven't been out to play Alchemist yet, which is this big, um, like, I don't know, probably a hundred foot pyramid structure on the edge of the esplanade with um, a big dance floor and a DJ. So I walk in and usually at night it's like packed and you can't get in it. But this is like 6 a.m. and people are headed in the opposite direction out into the playa to go and have their sunset experience and leaving the places that are more indoors like this. So I walk in and it's this amazing cool lady DJ up there throwing down these great beats for the crowd. So it's one wonderful to see her up there and playing. So that was really cool. And um, yeah, then by that time, it's getting a little bit brighter, but the sun hadn't quite crested over the mountains yet. So I knew it was time to go back to camp and meet up with Celeste and Devin to start her big 40th birthday party. And as soon as I walked into camp, there they were. And we got some bottles of champagne and I had brought down to the playa some French macaroons and chocolate bonbons that I'd kept in the freezer. And I got those out and brought them up onto our tower. Altitude Lounge is a camp that has about an eight-story scaffolding tower. It was one of the first towers like this on the playa with couches and chill areas as you go up and a really cool, really cool DJ booth. And it's a place that people love to come to watch sunset and sunrise because you can get this elevated view of the area. And so we got up there and it was just packed with people. And I walked around and gave happy burners these sweet cold treats. And then the three of us watched the sun came up, watched the sun come up and made some birthday wishes. And then she wanted to go out into the playa for some adventures together. So the three of us got on the pedicab, which is, think like a little um, bench seat, you know, like a little tuk-tuk in the back for two people. And then Devin pedaled with this um, electric motor so it wasn't too tough on him. Out into the playa, the three of us went to celebrate her birthday. It was just full of like <laughs> giggles and silliness and sweetness and playfulness and fun. A highlight for me, we were headed out. I think we were thinking we wanted to go to, um, there was a big, just like, think like human head sculpture coming out of the desert that you could go into. We never made it inside of it, but we'd been hearing about it all week. So it was like, let's head across to the big head. So we get on the bike and as we're going out there, I see this trophy, like the base of a trophy that has the letters or the numbers 2019 with a big red pillar, you know, where you'd normally see like, I don't know, a baseball guy on top of it or something like that. And then the engraving said most improved. And I just thought that was hysterical and loved them like, stop stop. I need my picture with this. So we stop and there's a ladder up the back and I climbed up top and I got to sit up on top of the statue and get my picture taken as like the award winner of most improved, which for me just cracks my shit up. It's hysterical. I don't know why, but I guess I have really simple sense of humor, but the idea of winning most improved 
fulfills me completely. And it kind of is accurate with how I've been feeling about myself recently, just thinking like coming into this new era, especially entering into the 40s. Personally, I felt like better than I have in my entire life, like stronger and wiser and clearer and more confident and more focused and more awake and more aware. So most improved, I will happily take for sure. So I got my picture with the most improved award as the most improved award, which is my favorite picture from all of Burning Man. And then Celeste wanted to go back to that um, wooden egg sculpture with the woman emerging out of it. And that was kind of symbolically her felt sense and self. And then there was a sculpture of just big butterfly wings, like the classic idea of metamorphosis. And Devin got to stand in front of that. So we all got our metamorphosis images that morning. And then we're biking around further and we see one of those temples. If you've ever been to Symbiosis, who puts on, um, or who put on also the Oregon Eclipse Festival, they have a really unique uh, style for their architecture and event spaces and stages where a lot of it's made out of found materials like recycled plastic bottles and cans and aluminum of all different things. So it'd have like, you know, the same plastic bottle or the same can or whatever that makes the walls or the roof of the space really well done. So it looked like a temple that was probably put up by them or the same artist that does that kind of stuff. And we headed over there and the temple was empty. It was just like a like a four-sided building. But on the other side of it, I wandered out and there was a guy sitting on the ground with his like camp um, griddle station making pancakes. I'm like, come on, you guys, let's get some pancakes. And they were like butter crisp, delicious pancakes. I put Peter on peanut butter on and was sitting there enjoying that. And I was sharing my champagne with the folks that were there. And then I saw the woman. She came up to me. She's like, hey, do you mind if I have some of your champagne? I'm like, absolutely. And it was the woman who was next to me the night before in that woman's temple when we were sitting next to the altar for what felt like water element energy that was came in there and tone and like, hey, I think I saw you last night. You were in your house. She's like, oh my gosh, it's great to see you again. Sweet so little moment. Then there was another woman there who had a camp stove out and she's like, would you like a fresh almond milk matcha latte? I'm like, absolutely. So she made me a like fresh almond milk matcha latte in this glass cup, which was a rare treat. And I gave her some champagne. And then Devin and Celeste are hanging out and there's a guy right next to us who starts to lead synchronized dance steps. So it gets this group of like six to eight people to all be doing their like fancy footwork crossover shoulder thing, turn to the side, da, 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 whatever. That's perfect for Celeste, aka the dance commander. She got to get into a synchronized dance step, little improv, spontaneous class for the sunrise. So we did that for a little bit, which was perfect and magical, magical and wonderful. And then camped around, or not camped, biked around to, and had lots of other hysterical adventures. But if I tell you, try to tell you the story of them, it quite, won't quite translate, I think. So I'll spare you. But we enjoyed it immensely. And then uh, ended up going and see her and seeing our friend Drew again back at his camp, pick up some lost water bottles that we left when we were there before. And uh, yeah, had more 
<laughs> spontaneous playfulness and fun with him. And then back over to our camp for Celeste's slow jam DJ set. And she played a set on the tower for her birthday and our friends, lots of them came by to visit. She's also a woman, Celeste is, that's big on credentials, meaning like, do I have the right wristband or lanyard or stamp or badge to get into the VIP area or backstage or wherever I want to go. So we had made special for her for these for her birthday wristbands that said champagne all day. And the theme of the birthday was wake up and love and make it louder, which is make it louder is the phrase that I hear Celeste say the most when I'm DJing for her or dancing with her. And I had these gold uh, sunglasses made that said these, those phrases on each arm of the sunglasses that made a stamp, a VIP Burning Man stamp and a VIP Burning Man sticker that we were giving to people so they knew that you know, they were properly credentialed to have a good day too. And, uh, oh man, just hilarity and beauty and grace and fun and connection ensued. And really, I would say a takeaway from Burning Man is the ability to play and play and play and play and drop in and really connect with people, strangers that you've never met and you wouldn't probably have the time or the space or the mental capacity or the energetic capacity to um, give the time of day to. And here you do. And things slow down and open up. And uh, because of that, you're able to have meaningful personal experiences in a way that just feels like it's not really possible in our regular day-to-day or what the burners call the default world when we're so in our program of wake, work, kids, family, sleep, like the daily grind routine, just the habits of what it takes to make our way in the world that that can get uh, quite rote and robotic and set. Here, all of that dissolves and we're all reaching out to each other to support and to give and to um, see each other in a new way and then drop into our internal experiences in a more expanded way. And uh, yeah, I did that over and over and over again. It was really quite beautiful. And I'm really grateful for having the ability to uh, support Celeste and celebrate her on her birthday. Happy 40th birthday, Celeste. And for all of our friends that we got to spend time with and new friendships that were made and the ways that I was able to reconnect to uh, myself and my own path, I felt like a takeaway was this uh, one that I didn't expect to. You know, you sort of have like people, you go into experiences like this and it's maybe like you are consciously aware of an intention or what you're trying to manifest or the direction that your life is going or the ways that you think that you want to change. And I always really love the ones that emerge that I didn't consciously know about because they feel more authentic when um, they weren't coming from what was a perception that I already had through my current filter. And so a new one that came through that I didn't... consciously see before was this connection to woman 
and the feminine and the way that somewhere along the way, as I was out there by myself with those different art pieces, I think it was when I was at the top of that um, mirror shard towards sunset. And it was like, I feel like I'm seeing clearer for the first time the role of women in our society and the level of suppression um, that women have been in and under the influence of. And it's like when you're born into a culture or into a way of being as a person, whether you're a man or a woman or a minority group or white or black or whatever it might be, you're born into it. And so the thought is, oh, well, this is the way that it is and this is the way that it should be because this is the way that it always has been. And so as being a woman, this feeling of... um kind of like smallness or meekness or uh, being timid and lacking a sense of personal conviction or power uh, and kind of being more like shadow in the background has felt like, for me, an aspect of woman that uh, has always... It's like, oh, that's the way that it is. Or like, that's what it actually means to be feminine. Like you're kind of second and beside and a little bit lower and more around versus like central, strong, powerful, right? And so what came to me was this feeling of that's actually not fucking true. Like women are incredibly powerful and women are super central and women are the whole reason we have life is because of women and women have the capacity and the ability to be strong and dominant and leaders and courageous. And the fact that we're not, isn't that that's not inherently what we are. It's that that's what we've been conditioned to act like from centuries of programming and persecution and being put down and being controlled. And so now we just naturally fall in line with that energy of uh, meekness or mildness or second class. And it's like, that's not going to be fucking true anymore. That's not how it is. Like we can rewrite the story and reclaim the power of the energy of the feminine and womanhood in a whole new way that's way more in line with uh, equality and the and just the pure truth of the power of women. So that is incredibly inspiring to me. And the metamorphosis that I feel like I'm taking away personally from this Burning Man experience. And I feel really charged up and inspired by it because it feels like the sense of, oh, I finally see it. Like I finally get it in a way that I hadn't before. I think before, for lots of reasons, I was mm, much more accepting of this notion of, oh no, things are great. Like it's always been good. It's always been fine. It's like, actually, that's not true. That's not true. And things do need to shift. And I'm excited and inspired right now to contribute my own voice to this movement of the strengthening power of the feminine in the world. And I feel like that is 
a metamorphosis that I am going to go through individually and that the hope is that we can continue to be going through collectively, planet-wide and societal-wide. And the um, yeah, we'll see where that goes. I'm planting that seed right now. And you'll hear me talk about it in the future in lots of different ways. We'll see um, how it starts to emerge. But I... I feel grateful for that insight, one that I wasn't looking for or aware of, but that certainly came through. We'll see how it continues to unfold. Right now, it's just like the first planting of that seed, it feels like. So ah, that was a theme that came through. I also played a set for Celeste for her birthday at sunset uh, on the Altitude Lounge Tower. And then after that, I packed up my car and headed out after the man burns, um, which was a really cool burn too. It was one of the quickest burns I'd ever seen. Usually it takes like, I don't know, like 30 minutes or more, it seems to really get going. And this one was like, like big explosions again. And then it just kind of like took it down this huge fireball of flames and there were all these like smoke uh, tornado clouds. At one point there was like 12 or more huge spinning off the back of it into the wind, which for me represents a lot of uh, transformation and release occurring in those times. Then took all after that and arrived home Sunday afternoon. So that, my friends, is a little burning man jaunt through my years of experience and through this year in particular. I'm sure I'm forgetting all kinds of things, but that's a little taste of the adventures that it is. And I know it's quite a privilege in and of itself to have the time and the resources to uh, make it down there. I'm incredibly grateful to Bill in particular, who watches the kids for me when I'm away and for everyone at the studio that helps me and, you know, Krishna who holds down the house and that I can go and unplug and, and have these moments of insights and playfulness and get recharged and really great to Altitude Lounge for being my camp home while I'm there for a few days. I know I'm someone that's kind of a little in and out, but they, they uh, accept me anyways, it seems. And I'm grateful too to just have the resources and the ability to have that time. I know not everybody can, but those of you that can make it maybe once in your life, there's not anything quite like it. And I know for those of you that haven't been to Burning Man, sometimes it can feel like quite the boring drain to hear everyone who has been talk about it. But this is all I'm going to talk about it to you guys. Thought you might want the little download. And that's it. That's it. Love you all. Thank you so much. Big, 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 dusty hugs and kisses. 